Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here, Sophie. It is such a pleasure. I can't wait to dive in. Our first question. So we loved your classic meet cute with a twist. Tell us about where this concept came from. Did you have an airport mishap that turned into inspiration for this project? I didn't have a mishap, but actually it was inspired by real life events. So I had a friend, Tony, who came to stay with us in Jersey, where I live, and he picked up the wrong suitcase from the airport. They exchanged numbers and he went to meet this girl who had the wrong case. And it wasn't written in the stars because sadly, Tony was there with his toddler. And so his suitcase (laughs) was full of like formula and like kids <laughs> toys but the girl whose case he picked up was full of like sexy underwear and things for a nice weekend away so it did get me thinking you can tell a lot about someone from their suitcase what they might be like and what they might be off to do on their holiday so that was the beginning of it it's such a sweet concept and the fact it hasn't been done before I was like ah oh. I should have thought of this. I love it. And I guess if you're listening out there, if you want your suitcase picked up, you can buy black and keep it plain. Or, <laughs> or, actually, or, actually, there's like a new security app that stops you ever getting your suitcase stolen. And they actually got in touch with me because they were like, if you'd had our app, it wouldn't have happened. Oh my gosh. No way, um, they got in touch with you. They got in touch with me. And I was like, yeah, but that would have ruined the story. If I know. <laughs> really? Ruined the story. Oh, wow. Okay, I guess you just can't get an air tag and call it a day no. anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. So we'd like to know if you're a plotter or a pantser, because we noticed Easter eggs throughout. I noticed some things where it was delightful in the moment, but then I realized you purposely made it memorable because we had to have that information later. Is that something you thought about or it just worked out? I am a huge pantser, but I wish I wasn't a huge pantser. I read somewhere Stephen King said he's a pantser because it's the only fun way to write. Because you start with a premise and you have your character and you just let them run and then you just see where it goes. And for me, I started with the premise and I started with my character, Laura, who's a hopeless romantic and has very high expectations of love. And that was it, really. And then we just saw where it went. But the problem with being a pantser like that is I think you have to do much more editing because you get to the end of the first draft and you realize there were all these threads that never went anywhere or characters that weren't really earning their space. And so that's where I go back and weave things in or take things out and plant a few of those Easter eggs, as you say, or clues that come to light later. The details that you put in felt very natural. And it was when you get the payoff as someone that teaches writing and (laughs) writes and everything else. I was like, oh, so good. So we don't want to give away your ending of your wonderful book or anything like that, but they were just well-placed and they all worked just in my opinion. Oh, thank you. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Because some of those have been like sweated over, like the fridge stuff, which I'm not going to spoil it. I was so happy with that end reference that came in. Just had to go back and weave that through. I love the epigraphs you included in the beginning of some of your chapters from the fictitious book that you made up. Can you tell us how you came up with the concept for that? It was amazing, by the way. I I love the fake book. book. Can I get this book? 
I think I might have been reading Glennon Doyle at the time. I was reading in Untamed and it's something about that kind of super motivational girl. We're like, take that control. And those kind of books that are great, but also if you're not in the right mood for them or whatever, like Laura, my protagonist, she doesn't read those kind of books and her friends kind of voice onto her and says, you must read Tiger Woman. It's so inspiring and so inspirational. It does end up affecting her kind of her mentality and her outlook and how she sees life but for me it was just quite fun to write those it was just a little a satire for me but then funnily enough I put it in as a bit of a satire and then I looked back and I was like oh actually this is all really good advice I quite like this <laughs> it was amazing and then I won't say no spoilers here guys but like how you wrap that up who actually wrote it I had to put the book down and just side eye my kindle oh my god no she did it no she did it and that and that again was definitely a pants scenario because I didn't know that was going to be who wrote it when I started it I liked the tiger woman and I felt like it had to play a part in the novel and also I kind of like playing in books like characters who I didn't like out and out baddies in books because I think no one's ever like a completely terrible person and I think in some of the characters I just quite like feeling that they have bad aspects but they also have some redeeming qualities and I think the tiger woman element was also that no one is an out and out terrible person like people redeem themselves and people have light and shade and I like books where characters are more real in that way it's so fun too I love the moment when it said it was something like only one in 20 hunts are successful and if it doesn't work does the tiger call her girlfriends crying no I was like okay I felt a little called out there but okay I know know. It was so interesting. The thing that's been happening lately is I've been turning into this psychic podcaster. We had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where I guess to the person's writing partner was randomly. And as I was reading yours, I was like, I feel like Sophie has media ties. And because it's so cinematographic, it reads like a movie script. And then I saw that you worked in TV. How did being on both sides of that business help in the creation of this It's interesting you said that because, yeah, when people ask me what my inspirations are in terms of other romance writers or other books I've read, and I always say my main inspiration was actually film. I was a huge fan of all those 90s rom-coms, Nora Ephron, all of the Sleepless in Seattle, all of the Richard Curtis films. And so when I write, I do have it in my head. And maybe that is partly my experience of being a producer and just seeing things quite visually, but also I think comedically the stuff I find funny is quite kind of physical and right. embarrassing situations that my characters are sadly put in. So yeah, I'm, I definitely see the the film in my head. But also someone once told me if you wanted a film made, you're better to write the book and get it adapted than try and write the film. So this is just my sneaky way of trying to write. I was there, like, and I would say the tampon scene, I was like, that's just meant for film. it worked in the book but it was so fun so yeah yes exactly you just want to see it and again you hope the reader is like completely visualizing it in their minds to get the awkwardness of it hopefully one day it will be on screen and then you can have well you know what's funny I was actually in a meeting with someone at Amazon Studios this morning a scout and she was asking for something like this and even though obviously you're not my client I wanted to be like you know what you should read (laughs) (laughs) send it on tell them (laughs) oh my goodness oh yeah that and the alcove scene that i won't you know go into detail about. oh my goodness the alcove scene 
I know the alcove scene is so funny because saying there was a lot of debate with my editors about how far it was acceptable to go with that scene. Some people who felt maybe it should just be kissing and that there should not be quite so much happening. I was like, no, it has to be what it is. Yeah, commit, go for it. It'll be interesting to see whether some people think that's too much. <laughs> I, I think it gives people hope for the future. I will just say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I it think it gives people hope for the future completely. And also I think that that's maybe not depicted so much in romance novels. Great. People read it to hear, yeah, to work out what we're talking about, but I look forward <laughs> to hearing your opinion on it. Can you tell us how you found your agent and your editor? So my agents, I think as most wannabe authors will tell you, they've obviously tried to write a lot of books and before they get a book that actually gets published. So I actually started out, I wrote a science fiction young adult book in my 20s that I sent to lots of agents and didn't get me anywhere. And then I entered a competition actually, which was write the first three chapters of a comedy novel. And I wrote a book about working in television, which was based on my experience called How to Get Ahead in Television. And I won that competition and that allowed me to get my agent, Claire, and she opened all these doors for me in terms of helping me find my voice. And she also suggested that my voice might be suited to rom-coms. So she introduced me to that genre really yeah I think finding a good agent who understands what you're good at and what your strengths are is really important and I found that relationship invaluable and she was the one who then got me my book deal with Penguin Random House there's a lot of jigsaw puzzles that go into to getting published and there's a lot of luck that goes into it too what tips do you have for writers who are trying to do the same So I would say competitions are amazing. I think competitions are a really good way to start because, you know, short story competitions or first chapter or any kind of way to get your work seen by people. And it can also really just boost your confidence that you're onto something if you win or you get feedback on a competition. And there's lots out there. You can spend a lot of time as a writer just sitting in your room writing stuff thinking, am I completely deluded that I think I'm going to be a writer? Because you don't get any validation. And and most of the time you're going to get rejection because a lot of things get rejected. So I do think competition is a really good way to start. And there's also small little mountains to aim for. If you're just writing a short story or you're writing a first chapter, it's not quite as daunting as writing an entire novel. And my other tip is if you want to write a book, the hardest thing about writing a book is getting to the end of the first draft. And I think that lots of people, myself included, you'd start something, you get to about 30,000 words and you suddenly lose confidence and you think, I don't know where I'm going, this is terrible. And you don't finish it and you put it in a drawer and you start something else, the new shiny, exciting project. So I think just getting to the end is really tough psychologically. And I think any way that you can help yourself do that, setting yourself a weekly word count. So for me, I wanted to write my book in a year. So I back solve. I need to do 5,000 words a week, which means I need to do four sessions where I write 1,300 words. And that's how I eventually did it. But I think if you're a procrastinator, it just feels like a massive task. I think having a weekly word target is a really good place to start. I like that. I love how you broke it down into a manageable amount that way. And then obviously you get behind and every day you look at your work count going, no, but like, at least you know what you should be doing. I think it's important for everyone that's listening to you, right? You've done it before and like you've written other books and that 30,000 mark, it is still difficult. Has it gotten easier or do you find it just to be the same old slog? It's a slog. It's really hard. And I think it's sometimes you get feedback and people are like, oh, your book's so easy to read, which is a compliment. Something that's easy to read is almost like harder to write to make it easy to read. And so some of the things that seem very simple 
I might have spent days fretting over. But also I think that because you're working alone a lot of the time as a writer, you have to be a little voice in your head saying it's not good enough and to spur yourself on to write a better book. And I always reach the same stage in a novel and I remember reaching it, we just haven't met you yet, where I'd done a draft and I was like, yeah, but I just don't think there's just not quite enough laugh out loud moments for me. There's not those memorable scenes that you're going to remember. And that's why I'll go back and be like, no, okay, it needs needs something else. It needs something else here. And that's when some of the funniest scenes are born, I think, when you're just pushing yourself to just take it to the next level. And that's what I'm currently at with the book I'm writing. And it's really painful because I don't have anything. (laughs) I think you do. I think your story is such a case study for me and like the ebbs and flows of emotion. You really give us opportunities to feel the desperation and feel like this is never going to happen. And then feel the numerous like sub stories that you had were really heartfelt and warm. And to say it's hard and to own that's hard, I think it's really interesting. What's really interesting is when I wrote my first book this time next year, I had a day job and I have two young children. And so I'd put the kids to bed and I'd start at eight o'clock and I couldn't go to bed until I'd done my 1,300 words. And in a way, I found that easier than what I'm doing now, where I have the luxury of being a full-time novelist and I have my whole day. There's a lot of kind of promotion stuff and procrastinating and TikTok and Instagram. And it's funny how you can get to lunchtime and be like, what I've done is watch TikTok videos this morning. And it's hard because I think there's something that really focuses the mind when you've only got limited time. So I'd say anyone who wants to be a writer and says, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. Sometimes that is your best friend, not having any time because you have to be super efficient and you have to get it done. Even if it's 20 minutes, you have to get it done. Well, and you can also sort of be working while you're thinking about it and doing other things too. I think people forget that's part of the creative process. You don't have to literally be at your computer to be processing how things work. Yes, true. But I don't think TikTok's helping me. <laughs> I, think, I think I definitely need to step away from the TikTok because I get stuck on a sentence and I'm like, ah, oh, let's just see what's happening on TikTok. And then oh my gosh, hours of talk about that. Do you have a TikTok channel that we all can follow? I do. I do. I only just recently did because someone was talking all about book talk and how it's a really great place for authors. And I didn't even know anything about TikTok until about six months ago. And then I signed up and it's just like a vortex that's pulled me in. There was a writer who said the only thing he allows himself to do when he's sitting at the desk is either write or stare out the window. Because if he's staring out the window, he's going to get bored after a few minutes and go back to writing. Mm -hmm. And I think it would probably be easier to write if you didn't have any of that other stimulus. And I think that having the internet at our fingertips is the death of creativity sometimes. I guess we can't all have a cabin on a rock with just books and Yes, that's the dream. (laughs) The cabin on the rocks. Yes, please. Yeah, that does sound nice. Can you talk about how you spoke about genre with your agent and editor? Because I know sometimes people want to fit rom-coms into a little box where nothing bad ever happens and it's basically happy all the time and the worst thing that happens is you drop something or you're clumsy, but there's a lot of nuance here. Did you get pushback in terms of it didn't fit into a box or did they, like us, appreciate it for that? So it's interesting because I think when I started writing this time next year, the publisher had quite a clear idea of the kind of book they wanted. They wanted something about kind of star-crossed lovers. They liked the setup. And so I felt like in a way I was writing to spec because they had expectations and I was trying to fulfill those expectations. And then with my second novel, obviously, I was a little bit more free range of what did I want to write. And so I think I've learned a bit more about the genre and what people expect. If you write a romance novel, by definition, you do need to have a happy ending because readers want to know that it's all going to work out. But within that, for me, like 
my favorite kind of book to read is where there's a little bit of light and shade and, you know, there is a poignancy or kind of some slightly more serious subplots. And so I think that in the kind of books I write, that's always going to be interesting to me to have the, the fun, falling in love romance, but also what else is going on in these characters' lives, some slightly more serious themes and other characters who've got stuff going on. That's what makes an interesting book for me is having a bit of everything. It's hard to please everyone because some romance writers have said, I like the book, but I wouldn't say it's strictly a romance because there are all these other things going on and it's not as front and center as other romance novels. And so I think that's where genre can be, I don't know, disappointing for me because people are judging your book by a predefined construct that I didn't necessarily sign up for. It's so nice that you show a range and you show young love and love that's had some time to experience life too. And I love that about the book. Yeah, I think ultimately it's about love and it's about like different forms of love and how people's ideas about love change as they go through life. And those are the kind of conversations I'm interested to have with my friends. So that's what I wanted to reflect in this book is Laura getting to grips with what love is and what's important and what a good relationship looks like. Right. Like I feel like you didn't just show the main character going through her life and figuring out her love story. She was figuring out everybody else's along the way and especially from different generations and how different forms of love are shown even just like familial love with one of the other main characters I enjoyed all of it so much and I actually enjoyed the fact that the book was more layered it wasn't just your normal happy fluffy oh I tripped and I, I fell into this guy and next thing you know we're in love and it worked out I love that additional layer of pain really there was a lot of pain that was pushed through the book as well but it was equally balanced with some of those more light-hearted emotions and growth that's really kind of you to say because I think also for me the joy of reading a book that's easy to read fun romance that feels like you don't have to struggle to pick it up at night because the story just whisks you along when people have had a busy day and they are working hard that's a bit they want to read but also I like books that are going to stay with you and you're going to remember something about them and there might be some nugget or quote that you apply to your own life and your own view of love and yeah for me that was always the aspiration in what I write is to have something that might resonate with people be beyond just a book they've picked up and whisked through in a few nights and then put down and forgotten all about. I venture to say that this is also a, like a travel read for me. I know I was obsessed by the cheese of Jersey <laughs> and the island and I wanted to be there. We haven't traveled in a long time and I felt that it was total escapism just being there for that. And I must say, I went on your website and I saw that you could give us beautiful pictures of the real setting of Jersey. You really feel like we are on an island. You really feel like we're on vacation. And then like her taking it in was such an amazing way for me to experience that too. So tell us about the setting and why you chose that setting and how it affected the story. Yeah, for me, I moved to Jersey kind of seven years ago, coming from London. And I think when you've been living in a city and then you move to a small island by the sea, you're just so taken by it's just this incredible seascape here. There's 30 beaches. Everyone is so different. There's a real character to each one. And I think that if you've grown up here, maybe it's just the landscape around you. Whereas as someone, an immigrant coming and moving here, I just completely was blown away by it. 
And so I wanted to capture some of that in the novel. And I think when Laura comes to Jersey and she sees it, that's like how I saw the island through my eyes when I came. For me as well, just choosing a setting, it's just always easier to write about somewhere that you know, and all of the descriptions of the places are all kind of real places. I did say to the Jersey Tourist Board, I was like, oh, I've written a book about Jersey. There might be some people coming along (laughs) now to some of the cafes. And I was like, I'm going to go and give one to the cafe owner and be like, right, if anyone shows you my book, they get a free hot chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to go. I was one of those people that got halfway through the book before I realized that she was not talking about New Jersey. What's funny as well is that people have now told me stuff about New Jersey. I don't know anything about New Jersey, but people are like, yeah, that's not a place you want to go on holiday. So now I'm learning quite a lot about New Jersey, but it's New Jersey is called Jersey because of my Jersey. That's where it got its name. So yeah, yeah. the the origin story. Yeah. I felt so bad halfway through. I was like, oh my God. No, this that is not what she's talking about this whole time. There are nice parts of New Jersey. And they have okay, nice beaches. Fine. Okay, good. There's nice parts of New Jersey. In oh, defense of New Jersey. In defense of New Jersey. Before I get letters from everyone in New Jersey, I, I haven't been there. I'm just going on what people told me, okay? No, Don't no, hate no. Me. It just has bad PR because when you drive through it, you don't see everything that's there. Okay, maybe they need a rom-com writer to upsell it. Maybe my next novel will be in New Jersey and I'll do a PR job for them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'll sell lots of hot chocolates that way or or whatever they've got there. (laughs) Fried Oreos at the seashore. So one thing you do that I think is really amazing is that you have all these characters with amazing quirks, hedgehog obsessions and (laughs) houses with five kitchens. And it's funny, but it never feels unbelievable. How did you do that? (laughs) Again, they're all slightly born out of real events in a way. So where we live in Jersey, we have an oil tanker, which is in a pit in our garden. We found some hedgehogs that were stuck down there because there's no way to get out. They fall in the oil kind of gully and then they can't get out. And there's actually an emergency hedgehog rescue lady who you can call on the island who will come and like rescue your hedgehog and bring it back to life. This woman who came was just the funniest person I've ever met. She was so cute, but also just completely obsessed with hedgehogs. And so she was just such an interesting character. I was like, she's going in a book. Hedgehogs are her life. I just also imagined her like, you know, the fifth emergency service almost. If you've got a problem with your hedgehog, She's the girl you call. So yeah, that character was born from a real person that I met, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) That makes me so happy, actually. Give hedgehogs a chance. They are cute. I'm glad someone's out there helping him out. When you said bring him back to life, does she give him like tiny CPR? (laughs) Yes, yes. No, but it's sad. But the hedgehog that had been down there was very malnourished because it couldn't get out. And sometimes (laughs) they're just in bad health. And actually there was like a another animal down there that had attacked it anyway this is a whole long story about my garden <laughs> but there was some kind of ferret or stoat down there I don't know anyway there's this whole drama and she has like a hedgehog nursery where she takes malnourished hedgehogs who have woken up too early from hibernation or they've been attacked by animals and she has a little like hedgehog hospital <laughs> it's just hilarious that's so cute that's why it so feels sweet. real right like it feels real in the book because it's real. <laughs> Obviously, Aunt Monica, who is the character in the story, is like a little bit escalated in her yeah, kind of madness, it's but like, it's born uh, from a real job. It is a real job. Exactly. So I live in Maine and we have islands right off the coast and we can kayak to them. People live on them and stuff. And the weird things are on islands. Like on the island near me, there is a lady that has a umbrella cover museum. So it's the covers from the umbrellas. <laughs> 
That this is amazing. Yeah, this is the kind of thing you can't wait, you can't make up. And I think great. if you're a writer as well, you just got to constantly make a little note about those weird and wonderful things because right. Umbrella Cover Museum is just, it's it's just too good. Museum. It's an Umbrella Cover Museum. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like $3 to get in and she's got more than anybody and it's worth going in, you know? Why yeah, not? completely. I would totally go in there. That sounds brilliant. When you come, I'll take you out. <laughs> yeah. Come in. Oh my goodness. I want to talk a little bit about Jerry. I found that he was such a larger than life character. And I read the acknowledgments that you actually got to speak with somebody who had Parkinson's. Do you mind talking about your experience writing that character? Yeah. So again, I wanted there to be a character in the novel who, so I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but there's a character who's kind of moving his father out of his home into assisted living because he's struggling to live on his own. And Parkinson's is something that came up that would fit that criteria. But I wasn't confident to write about a character with Parkinson's without meeting at least someone who had it, because even though he's only a secondary character, I just wanted that experience to be authentic. So I asked a lot of my friends, does anyone know anyone with Parkinson's who would talk to me? And I got introduced to this guy, Andrew. And I originally just met him because I just wanted to ask him about his Parkinson's. And this guy just ended up being the most inspiring, interesting person that I have probably ever met. Like his whole life philosophy was fascinating. And he was this amazing carpenter. He had this whole workshop of things. He'd invented tools in order to make, like he's a real pioneer in terms of woodwork. And coming away from talking to him, I was like, I don't want to just put the Parkinson's in the book. I want to put him in the book. So the character of Jerry was actually born out of him. Just some of his life philosophy is verbatim what we talk about in the book. There's a particular bit where the character Jerry is walking along a beach at night and he says he's, you know, wobbling along the road and he does litter picking and he picks up empty bottles. And he says, you know, what are the people who are driving home from the bar at two in the morning thinking when they see a wobbling old man carrying empty wine bottles and that is exactly the story that Andrew had told me about people making judgments about other people's situations when you don't know the full story and that was actually a man who couldn't sleep with insomnia who'd gone out to clean up the beach but how many of us would have made the assumption that it's like a drunk guy staggering home and that really resonated with me about not judging other people's stories until you know. And I, yeah, I asked him, like, do you mind if I put that in my book? So you just never know where your inspiration is going to come from either. Talking to characters and some people you might talk to and think, ah, no, actually, I'm going to change that story. That's not going to go in. And whereas talking to him, that conversation created a big part of the story for me. I love the moment talking about how he lives in the present too, looking back and thinking what he could do will make him sad and looking ahead will make him sad, but he's got this nice night on the beach with his friends right now. Gosh, I wish I could live in the moment in that way. I know. And that's, that's what we're all aspiring to do. And again, that's something he specifically said because he was really talented carpenter. He used to be really into sailing. He had all these amazing hobbies and skills that he can't do now because of his condition and I think a lot of people would just find that very depressing like how do you get your head around that not being able to do all the things you're good at and just when he talked about that about living in the present because it's the only place to live when you've lost everything and you're going to lose more and I just thought that's like a metaphor for humanity and existence all of us are going to lose something so it's like we should all be taking that advice and just living in today because it is that we have and yeah, maybe people who, who are facing bigger challenges and maybe better at getting their head around that than, than people who 
like myself, who just you take the present for granted because you think it's always going to be there. There is a lot of jokes and silliness in the book as well, just so you know. <laughs> yes, and I think you just do such a good job balancing it. Like, even in moments where we could be sad, you often throw in something to make it lighter. There's a letter where you say, someone says something like, enjoy the Greek islands, I hope your boat sinks. <laughs> which I hope was supposed to be funny because I laughed yes yes it was that was actually much worse when in the first draft it was something it went into a lot of detail about how she wanted him to get eaten by sharks but that was yeah, maybe I had, that is something I had to tone back <laughs> if a new writer is listening to this what is your number one tip for them so I would say my number one tip is don't let other people ever tell you that you're not going to be a writer. Like when I was at school, I think my prediction for my A-level grade, which is, I guess, the end of high school, I got an A stroke D, which is an unusual prediction. But because they said A for content, you've got great ideas, but D for grammar, spelling, presentation. And I would say none of that matters. As long as you've got your ideas and you've got drive and you want to tell a story, I'm terrible at like grammar and I don't... I still get the eyes in the wrong place lots of the time. I think I have mild dyslexia that was never diagnosed. I missed various chunks of school because I moved around a lot as a child. I went to four different schools in 18 months. So I did miss some very basic groundwork of my education. And I had various insecurities about that. I would just say to people who don't think they're particularly good at English, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't tell a story. And so I, I just think giving people the confidence to tell their story, however they want to do it, or in whichever manner that they can, all of the other stuff can be fixed. You know, it can be. So don't ever feel that you're not good enough to do it. And it's so much easier to have a copy editor fix your grammar than to ask a writer to add voice. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And, and if you're naturally just able to tell a story and that's interesting, that is something that's harder to teach. Whereas I'm embarrassed to say, but I have had quite a lot of editors be like, mm, you just changed tense halfway through here, what's going on? <laughs> But that can be fixed. Absolutely. <laughs> Where can we find you online? So people can find me on my website, which is sophiecousins.com or the best place to hang out with me on social media is on Instagram. I'm at Sophie underscore cousins. And your TikTok. I've got to step away from the TikTok. So I'd say, yeah, you can find me on TikTok where is usually where I go after a glass of wine and I'm not writing <laughs> and decided to make some crazy drug video. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This Thank is going to make so me much. follow you on TikTok, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish you the best of luck with this new project. It is amazing. Jessica, should we give away a couple of copies? I know that they came out on September 9th. It's out in stores yes. now. We'll give away three copies. Yeah. And if you are international, we'll send you a digital copy because it's hard to send international lately. But can you give us a code word? So when people listen, they sometimes send us code words and we send books out. Hedgehog is the code word. Hedgehog. I love it. Okay. So the first three people to email us at academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with hedgehog in the subject line, we will send you copies. Oh, I love that. That's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) We loved this. This was such a fun read. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you so much. It's lovely to talk to people who have read it, actually, because it's only just come out. This is a year from writing it to publication. There's a long time where only me and my editor have read it. So it's actually just really fun to talk to people who have read the story. Yay. Thank you for reading it. (laughs) I have to ask, do you know someone with five kitchens? (laughs) No, but I do know a couple of carpenters here who work in kitchens and it's like just a particular gripe of mine because in Jersey, where there is quite a lot of wealth, 
and houses change hands. The first thing people do is rip out a kitchen and it just seems very wasteful to me. So that was just my own little bugbear about people like smashing up perfectly good kitchens just because it wasn't like to their exact specification of their taste. I just thought it was such a, a funny, creepy thing to throw in there. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was a creep at first. I was like, oh no. Oh no, get out of there, girl. Serial killer. <laughs> and I love, yeah, I love that you really know where it's going because I didn't really know it was going there either. I was just suddenly, ooh, kitchens. But yeah, for anyone who hasn't read it yet, you just wait for the kitchens. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.